Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves fresh hot cup of original meat and coffee. The official coffee of the Sense Right Now podcast. Yeah, yeah, this, this is, is real, real life. life. Okay, now... Okay, now I... I have two fingers. You feel good? I can't see anything. Yes, you can. You have four eyes. Yeah. I, I feel funny. Why is this happening to me? Is this going to be forever? No, no, it won't be forever. Welcome to the Since Right Now Addiction Recovery Podcast, the podcast of clean and sober, K-L-E-N and S-O-B-R, and SinceRightNow.com. With your hosts in recovery, Jeff, Matt, and Chris. Our guest tonight, Shane Watson of NotMyKid.org. Hey there. Hey, Shane. Jeff is now here with me. How are you? Hey there, Jeff. I'm doing well. How are you? Yeah, great to meet you. Um, and like, as I said, Matt's going to be a little bit late. Um, it'll be a first for the podcast where one of the hosts walks in and we'll try not to disrupt your flow if you're in it. Yeah. Um, and, uh, unless you have any more questions, we can probably get going. I, yeah, I'm ready. Any thoughts? And are you, are you Shane W or are we, are we oh, using right. last names? Good question. I, and actually, it's interesting that you say that. I was just listening to an episode of yours um, where you did the last initial and the guy is actually comfortable with full name. I, I thought that was really, really respectful. I am fully comfortable, first and last name, Shane Watson. Yep. Um, my, my story's out there. My mugshot is on Google Image right. Search. So it, right. it is what it is. Right. Well, um, then let's, let's, let's jump in. Okay. Here we go. Our guest tonight is Shane Watson, currently of NotMyKid.org. He's the manager of parent and faculty education there. Um, it's a nonprofit org whose mission is to empower youth to reach their full potential by inspiring positive life choices. Shane himself is in recovery from active addictions throughout his 20s and the better part of his 30s. Yes. Welcome, Shane. Welcome, Shane. Thank you very much for thank you for having me here. And and it's I think the the perfect guest is someone who has this harrowing story, which we're going to ask you all about. And <laughs> it's funny because we were just talking about how your story is our most read story on the site. Right. And it's a it's a great story. And we're you know you were addicted to everything at some point. It sounds like, and then you turned it all around and have got gotten into this position to give back, uh, which is really what it's all about. Right. Exactly. Definitely. It's, it's been an incredible opportunity. You know, I wasn't just, I haven't just been shown mercy. I've been shown grace beyond the fact that I'm not getting the bad things, I guess, that I've earned through my behavior. I've, I've received the forgiveness and the opportunities, which is something, I mean, there was a point I never thought I was going to have that. Yeah. And I love how your story starts this, this, uh, waking up in prison, you know, 
just I just jump jump right in because uh, you know start with rock bottom yeah. um, because it's it's pretty attention grabbing and it's uh, I will never forget that feeling and I don't ever want to forget that feeling yeah. I don't dwell on my past right. but I want to remember what that felt like because yeah. as soon as I lose touch with that that's a scary place to be yeah and and you mentioned later in the story that there was this sheriff Joe's this is is this an infamously bad jail system mm-hmm. where you were at, where you found yourself? It sounds like they had no clue how to treat anybody. Mm-hmm. It was just like, good luck. And still done. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. you, you know, I was fortunate, though, because of, of the Maricopa County jail system, I ended up in Durango jail. We have the infamous Tent City, which is an outdoor tent jail. Oh and God. in the summer here in Phoenix, oh. the inside of the tents have been measured at 140 degrees. That's insane. And obviously, you know, you don't end up in jail because you were singing too loud in church. That right. being said, the majority of the people that are in Tent City are pre-trial. They haven't even had their day in court yet. And, you know, while I don't think jail should be fun, I think adequate shelter is a reasonable thing to, to ask for. Yeah, <laughs> completely. And, and you bring up a good point, and that's certainly about remembering where you came from, remembering what got you to this point. Um and and not uh, not disavowing it, not disowning it, um, because you know without it, without going through that, you wouldn't be here. You know, I always say one of my what one of my beliefs is to to enjoy the the joys you'll experience, you have to endure the the, the pain you experience, mm-hmm. and um, because it's all you know, it's a continuum. But you know, there's a um, there's a faction that that thinks you know. Does that mean that we continue to be our addictions if we you know don't just don't move past or don't don't forget them? Sort of. Um, and I think what's interesting is it informs you're at the right now you're at the spearhead of of sort of probably the opiate crisis to a large degree, right? In your your prevention work, and it probably informs a lot of how you talk to these the kids that you talk to. Yeah. Absolutely. Just as a matter of fact, just today I was working on the presentation that we do for parents and school faculty on substance abuse, and we recently attended a seminar here uh, in, in Phoenix concerning our state's opiate epidemic. You know, it's an epidemic across the country, and Arizona has been hit particularly hard, and that. Uh, opiates are at the forefront of what we're looking at right now. We, I mean, we want to discourage young people from you know abusing any drug, mm-hmm. but that's really a particular concern, especially the fact that a lot of people start down that road through a legitimate prescription, or kids are taking them out of their parents' medicine cabinets, and that's how you end up with the child that no one would ever think would be using mm-hmm. heroin, the straight A student, the prom queen, who's then moving on to black tar heroin, which is readily available and very cheap here in Arizona. Wow. That's just amazing. Well, and it's funny. I love uh, your part of the story where, you know, you growing up, all the things they told you would happen if you used alcohol and drugs, then you try them and you're like, none of that happened, right? (laughs) That's such a big part of my story. And I, I tell, when I talk to students, I really make sure that they understand while there is a consequence for every negative decision we make in life, they right. don't always happen right away. Yeah. And my naive, inexperienced mind at the time, I'm waiting for this instant lightning bolt of consequences. And when the world didn't end, yeah. I said, wait a second, there, there's no price to pay for this. And I, I was off and running. Yeah. And so that was it. Yeah. And it sounded oh, like absolutely. You, just, you went from alcohol, you went pretty quickly. It sounds like you got into heavy stuff pretty quickly. 
I, I did. You know, I actually mostly it was alcohol through high school, and I, and I don't want to downplay alcohol. By the way, I think we yeah. as a society take that too lightly. Yeah, and it is a very powerful drug. Uh, it was mainly that, and then marijuana in the later part of high school. When the floodgates open was in college. Mm -hmm. When I started abusing prescription drugs, uh, most specifically uh, opiate painkillers, mm -hmm. that's where it just, I mean, you talk about it, the, the hurricane began. Yeah. That's at that point. And, and did, you, did you find these around your house? They just are available, right? Anyone can get these things. They were pretty easy to find at the time. I mean, chances are most people know somebody that's got some left over. A lot mm -hmm. of people will get prescribed these, you know, they had a tooth pulled, they had a surgery, and there's a lot of people that'll take them for a couple of days, they don't like how they feel, and then they're sitting around. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's like I had that opiate radar back in college, for lack of a better term, and ended up getting in a discussion with somebody that lived in my dorm and found out that he had some left over from a sports injury. Ah. And, you know, the next thing I knew that they were mine. Yeah, and um, you know, I battled with that off and on. When what led me to heroin was years later getting a legitimate prescription of my own after having hand surgery. I, I mangled my hand horribly bad, actually in an alcohol-related situation. Interesting. Yeah, and um, you know, I, it was a legitimate prescription. I ended up getting a couple refills on it. And when we're talking about opiates, it's a one or two week period before you, that dependency starts. It's rapid. No kidding. Wow. Well, and I was shocked at, like I kept waiting for your story to end when you were at a younger age. And you, I don't know how you pulled off using that long, you know? Like how did and you do that? And graduated from college yeah, somehow with a reasonable just, GPA. And kept going, right? It's, I look back and, and it's, uh, you know, it's it astounds me. And, uh, and that's a big part of why I am able to believe in a power greater than myself mm -hmm. because it wasn't me that got me through that insanity. It's it's me that dug that hole. It was something else that got me out. And and yeah, that story does go on for a while. You're you're waiting for that point where it's mm -hmm. like, okay, now here's the happy ending and right. it, you get dragged through the mud a little bit longer. Yeah. But, but I guess that's always the way it is. <laughs> we just need yeah. to get our asses kicked. So yeah. so was this I'm sure this whole jail point jail experience was the bottom, right? At some point this became well, the I was moment. astounded the losing yeah. I mean you you lost all your where is it because of the felony you, you know you, you had a felony right yeah absolutely and and that's uh, Arizona does not have an expungement statute so that's never going away uh, I've lost my rights as an American citizen mm -hmm. and you know I, I earned that for myself wow. jail wasn't necessarily the low point it was while in jail mm -hmm. while withdrawing waking up and thinking in one shot I had lost my marriage. I had lost the family members that were still, you know, loved me, um, friends, you name it. I mean, it's with my actions on the last night that I drank, I, I legitimately thought that everything was gone in one shot. And, and having that realization while you're in one of Maricopa County's jails, while you're going through withdrawals, it does not get a whole lot worse. Yeah. Matt's here, by the way. Say hi, Matt. <laughs> Hey, Matt. <laughs> no. Hi, how are you? Hey there. I'm doing we good. Do, we do shtick. <laughs> yeah, we do. We're shtick heavy. That's funny. So, and you don't really describe what happened that night in great detail. Was you it know, just I, harrowing? That's something that I, you know, when I do my student presentations, I will go into detail. Yeah. Um, as far as when I've done interviews in the past, whether it's TV or radio, 
um, out of respect for people who were victimized by my actions that evening, mm, yeah. I, I limit how far I go into detail with it uh, out of respect. Yeah. Okay. And Understandably we were, so. We're not going to pry. But I was just curious. Um, and uh, yeah, you're the you're essentially the the face the the public face of not my kid. Is that correct? I mean, you do a lot of television, a lot of interviews. About ninety five percent of okay. the interviews for the organization. Okay. Uh, I just I, kel- I kind of fell into it one day. I was invited by one of the founders to right. come speak on a local morning show, and um, it's just kind of snowballed from there. The founder has stepped back a bit from the organization because she now works for the governor's office here in Arizona, so she's no longer actively involved with the organization. And after they saw that it was something I could do the interviews mm. and was good at them and was comfortable doing them, it's kind of it fell into my lap. It's something I really enjoy. I'm actually very much at peace when I'm doing an interview. Yeah, that's awesome. So yeah, so I mean, tell us about this this organization. It seems like what a what a you know, I it it seem, you know it sounds like you have a really good spiritual base and you you know have this higher power that works in your life and all of a sudden this thing fell in your lap that's just this perfect uh thing to do with your life perfect 12 step perfect way to give back so uh tell us a little bit about that this whole thing well actually how i came across the organization is pretty amazing too i had ran into a former speaker who had uh, been a peer educator for the organization he overheard me venting to someone else saying okay i understand why employers won't hire felons but I'm a different person now. I have a degree. I have certain talents. Any company or organization that takes a chance on me, they're going to get 100%, yeah. and they're going to be glad they did. And so this guy's hearing me saying this. Wow. And he's, I'm so sorry. I don't mean to be eavesdropping. He's asked me a couple questions. He's like, do you have any public speaking experience? I said, I have years. He said, do you have a story to tell? I said, oh, do I have a story to tell? <laughs> do I ever? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so he said, well, there's this organization right down the street called Not My Kid, and I've said I've driven past the building. I the logo's on the outside of the building, and I've always wondered what it is. So he said, "Go in and apply." And I said, "Well, I have a felony." And he said, "Well, do you have any crimes against children?" And I said, "No, because the organization, because we go into schools, we cannot right. hire anyone with crimes against children." Right. I said, "No." He said, "Are you at least a year clean and sober?" And I was at nine months at the time. Oh, wow. And he said, "You have to be at least a year clean and sober, but go in and apply." And at least get to know them, and then once you're a year, they'll, you know, chances are that you'll you'll be able to start there. So, anyway, that's how I came to know the organization. Wow. But the organization itself so was you weren't founded. Even, you weren't even speaking publicly. You were talking to someone, and someone overheard your conversation. That's exactly what it was. And that's he, so cool. He and I are friends to this day. Um, as a right. matter of fact, I just saw him fairly recently, and he was apologetic for interrupting the conversation. He said, I'm sorry that I'm <laughs> eavesdropping. And I'm thinking, if you have a job lead for me, you can interrupt me as much as you want. Absolutely. Yeah, and um, the organization itself was started 15 years ago by Debbie and Steve Moak, a, a local Scottsdale family, who had a son that by all outward appearances was the perfect kid. He was a scholar, an athlete, a student leader, they didn't realize that he had a really serious substance abuse issue until he was in the grips of full-blown addiction. And they got him help, got him on the road to recovery, and the family's doing great now. But they said, you know, we're so involved in our kids' lives. We're intelligent. We're professional. We're a loving family. And we missed this. Wow. Mm-hmm. So they wanted to equip other families with the knowledge and the courage that they felt like they didn't have. So 15 years ago, the organization was founded around substance abuse, mm-hmm. and it's since expanded out to six different topics, including bullying, internet safety, mm-hmm. body image, 
unhealthy relationships, and a combination topic of depression, suicide, and Mm self-injury. And the way it works is there's two sides to it, the student side and the adult side. The student side, young adult peer educators who are between 18 and 30 go into schools and they talk about their own personal story of dealing with whatever the particular topic is, is overcoming it. And it's not just telling war stories because then they're then working in teachable keys to behavioral health. So the kids know that if they're, they're ever struggling or a friend is, here's what you can do about it. And then on the adult end, um, we send behavioral health professionals, law enforcement, and other qualified professionals to go speak to parents and school faculty because we educate students, parents, and faculty because no one of those groups can tackle these issues on their own, nor should they have to try to. But through a concerted effort, if we can educate and empower, keyword there, all three groups, we can create change. I've seen it. Wow. And so what's the, when you go in and talk about these topics, um, like what is, because I, I watched some of the videos on the site. I thought the guy who did that rap thing was amazing, right? <laughs> oh, Jason, yeah, wow. the spoken word artist. He's I was like, very spoken talented. word artist, really? And I clicked it, and I was like, that was uh, incredible. Because <laughs> you're like, I don't know if this is really going to... But he was really, really good. And then he obviously is a peer counselor. Yes, he yeah. is one of our peer educators, uh, substance abuse specific. Yeah. And and so is it... Do you guys develop the thing, or do they just go in and tell their story and answer a bunch of questions and... And I'm just thinking, like, back when I was in high school, it's, I think it's always hard to reach high school kids, mm-hmm. right? They just have to be the most cynical or just, yeah, they're just high school kids, right? And back Absolutely. when we were in high school and, or tough. grade school and high school, was scared straight, I remember, was the yeah. thing. And that legitimate, <laughs> the, but the reality of it is. I don't know if that worked. It didn't scare me straight. I mean, it scared, <laughs> no, no. It scared the shit out of me. Right. I did not want to go to prison, right. but I still we had, <laughs> you know, uh, went down that rabbit hole. We had the talking mime my senior year. It's a <laughs> mime who came in and counseled us on the danger of drug abuse. And, See, uh, a, t- a mime is enough to make me not want to do drugs. It's so a different, that <laughs> it's, and he spoke, which yeah. is just terrifying. That's even but. worse. Um, That's you're absolutely right, though, that, you know, I grew up in the era where we had these assemblies and we were laughing about them when sure. I when I was that age, yeah. right. partially because we were high school students and partially because how they approached it. Yeah, just we say do no. this very strategically. Yeah, yeah, just say no just didn't work. It, yeah. you know, it was not that simple. Yeah. We, um, each one of our peer educators gets at least 20 hours of training. Okay. They go in there and they approach it. First of all, they're wearing jeans and an amplified T-shirt. You know, one of our they're dressed very casually. Mm-hmm. And one of the first things that we tell students when we're talking to them is, "I'm not here to tell you what to do. I'm mm-hmm. here to tell you what I did and what happened because of it." And when you go in and you treat them with respect, mm-hmm. you don't lie, you don't exaggerate the details. You just tell them the truth, and you do it in a respectful, non-condescending, non-lecturing manner you get that rapport, you establish that rapport, and they will listen at that point. Mm-hmm. And I, it's a, it's a, I'm astounded time after time after time, I'll do a student presentation, and I'll, like a lot of times before I start, uh, you know, the, the contact, the, the counselor or the principal, somebody will be like, okay, you're gonna be talking to our seniors, now they can't be told anything, and this is mm-hmm. a really rough crowd, and I've just wanted to warn you, yeah. and then I'll get done, and they'll come up to me afterward, and they'll say, you could have heard a pin drop, we've never seen them like mm-hmm. that. Wow. And it's not just me, it's all of the peer educators. Mm-hmm. It's very strategic, everything is overseen by behavioral health professionals here, so we're very specific about certain language we won't use, mm-hmm. uh, triggering type things, we won't give them ideas on how to conceal drugs, acquire them, <laughs> right. things like that. <laughs> Good idea. And it's done, 
with you put all those pieces together and it and it works. It absolutely works, and it's very well thought out. And we're constantly refining it as well. Yeah. And then what sort of what sort of response is there in in the auditorium or the room? I mean, do you get there a lot of questions? Do you take questions? And what sort of questions? I'm just yes, curious. Uh, yeah. We definitely the Q and A portion is a very big part of it. We typically speak for about. 35 to 45 minutes is the presentation with about 10 to 15 minutes of Q&A at the end. And, and that's such an important part for the students to get to ask the questions that they have. And it runs the gamut. You think of a question, we've been asked it, and they will go they'll go right for the jugular. They, right, right. You know, they're not going to hold back like an adult is. And I have a certain respect for that. And uh, I'm pretty much an open book. I'm the only questions I won't answer from students is, you know, I have a suicide attempt in my story. Mm. A lot of them will ask, how did you do it? How did you mm -hmm. try to do it? I can't talk about that. I can't give them that idea. Right. Yeah. And what I explain to them is, you know, what's important is the fact I never should have gotten to that point. Yeah. And then, exactly. you know, if we talk about suicide, there's a very specific thing that we tangent we have to get off on when we when suicide does come up. Um but we've been asked everything, and they, they very frequently will get off topic. It's You can expect anything from – and we speak from 6th uh, to 12th grade. Uh, I got done with my presentation one time, and this hand immediately shot up for a Q&A, and it's a 7th grade kid. And I said, over there in the hat. And he said, how much you bench? So, <laughs> you name it, they'll ask anything. That's, That's awesome. awesome. Do, and uh, on, on the other end, do you, do you, I mean, do you ever have uh, you know, kids come up and say they need help with – that's the goal. You know, okay. we establish a contact person at the school. It's usually a counselor, okay. social worker, or psychologist. So it's through the school. Yeah, absolutely. And if we have a kid that comes up and, you know, we invite them, you know, to come talk to us afterward. And if they're struggling, we then bridge that gap between them and that counselor. A lot of times they're afraid to go to that person. And what right. we want to do is we want to bridge that gap. And um, frequently after a presentation, we'll have students come up afterward and say that they're struggling. I've had kids as young as seventh grade come up afterward and say, hmm. you know, I'm, I'm getting high every day. I'm wow. using drugs every day. I don't know what to do. Wow. You know, your story is the first time I've thought maybe, you know, maybe there's a way out of this. And, you know, we take them right to that person. We get help. And then when we get back to the office, if we have a situation like that, we immediately have to come back, fill out what's called an incident report. Mm -hmm. Our contact follows up with the school contact that day and the next day, and we maintain contact. We don't just assume mm -hmm. everything's being taken care of. We make sure, is that child getting the help that they need? Yeah. Mm -hmm. on, on that note, do you know if there are there recovery high schools in Arizona? I believe there is one recovery high school here. I'm not positive. Um, that was actually a, a fairly new idea to me. Uh, I heard about it, I believe, for the last first time last year, and I'm really impressed with that yeah, idea. Yeah, no, it's a fascinating. I mean, I wouldn't have guessed, you know, yeah. certainly not when I was in high school, that it would be a thing. But uh, nor when I was in recovery. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the two together. Yeah. yeah. Recovery high. Um, Let's go sobers. <laughs> what's the uh, so? When, what's the playbook for people in you know for kids? Where do you send them to NA? Do you send them to treatment? Like, what do you? Where do you get these kids if they... It, it depends on what their situation is. We yeah. also have on staff a clinical director, Dr. Evan Espinoza. And what he'll do is he'll meet with the student, meet with the family, and get some details, get some information, find out you know what substances are involved, or if not substances, what behaviors, how long has this been going on, how frequent is this, all that information. Right. Based on that, he'll make calculations. You know, are we looking at a an inpatient situation? Are we looking for at a ninety day inpatient situation? Are we looking at outpatient? 
or are we looking at someone, you know, like you said, meetings or something like that? Yeah. And so he's going to, he'll make that analysis or if the school counselor takes over, they, they make that determination. Okay. And, and I, is, is 12 steps part of this? I'm just, just curious to ultimately do the, do for long term do, do somebody, does somebody end up in NA or AA or something like that? Is that where it all, this all leads? Not necessarily. I, I don't think the end goal is specifically 12-step focused. The, the end goal is getting that child healthy. Sure. Um, and the main goal is preventing a child from ever, a kid from ever even going down that path. This is, we're focused on prevention rather than intervention, gotcha. but the intervention end happens a lot. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, what is it going to take to get that child healthy and safe again? Uh, we're certainly not opposed to the 12 steps by any means. Um, you know, it was a very big part for me of my early recovery. And I'd say a good 50 to 75% of our staff, now we're a small staff of about 12, mm-hmm. but a, probably a good half of us are in recovery as well. And yeah. so it's, a, it's an awesome environment as somebody in recovery just to be around people who, who understand. They just Absolutely. get what it's like. And it's, I've never had a job that I've loved this much. You know, I've been here two and a half years. I wake up every day happy to be here, even when I'm not presenting. Like right now, you know, I've had a few weeks of office work that I've needed to do. The environment is so laid back. It's so edgy. It's it's just, (laughs) it's a fun place to be. We have a soda fountain in our living room. Oh, that's cool. Wow. You know, it's it's different. It's yeah. very non-corporate. And, yeah. um, you know, the, the nonprofit world drives some people insane. I love it. Our podcast studio is in my house. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> uh, That's awesome. But, no, I, I totally get, get that. I mean, you know, doing this, it has yet to, uh, you know, support <laughs> anyone. But, um, you know, the past year working my way into working in recovery, um, you know, our way has, has been incredibly rewarding and just, you know, it's, it feels weird to say it, but it's been fun. It's been an enjoyable endeavor. So I to- totally get that. I think we all do. It's a, it's a great feeling to, especially when you're the first person to make somebody not feel alone, exactly. not feel strange. What an incredible feeling where you see that look in their eyes and they're like, wow, okay, I'm not alone. And exactly. sometimes you're the first person that, that's made them realize that. I want to see what you're doing and what a lot of other people are starting to do in recovery. I want to see that ex- ex- just expand exponentially. And I think there, I think there's room for that to happen. Absolutely. And I think you and I were talking about, you know, it's like, in a way it's, it's uh, you know, drug ad- Drugs and alcohol are so normalized in so many ways from, I think somebody on Twitter the other day was sharing something about a restaurant calling their fries crack fries. That was the name of their fries, which might seem innocuous, but to a large degree, it normalizes drug use. It, it, it makes it easy to talk about it, which, you know, it's just a slippery slope argument maybe. But um, the, well, what we were talking about before we, we got on air, you and I, is is sort of making recovery not cool not trying to be hip not trying you know because that never works but to normalize it as something that doesn't feel awkward right absolutely and and i i think that's completely possible and what you said is right it's it's not trying too hard i see some people and 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 you know bless them for trying they're 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 trying too hard to be someone they're not and you're good at what you're good at. I'm good at what I'm good at. Do what you're good at right. and be an awesome person in recovery f- 
doing what you're awesome at. Exactly. You know, I'm not going to go be an accountant because I hate numbers, but I'm going to take what skills I have and, you know, let my light shine and have people when they meet me go, wow, I want to know more about this guy and then find out, wow, this guy's a recovering addict. Maybe I have the wrong idea about what people in recovery are like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know what's it, what, what that makes that, that just made me think, and, and it'll it's a slight tangent, is so your 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 bio headshot, your photo, you look like you know fresh faced, good looking all yeah. all American guy, yeah. and then you posted yourself somewhere. Uh, I saw your your mug shot from so, oh, at wow. some point, and I'm like, you should show that as a scared straight thing. <laughs> you look like a different person i mean i, I guess we that. all do yeah but i use the mug shot in my at the end of my presentation um there's a part where i talk about every day in sobriety getting a gift and i say that i've never received a greater gift than the one i received when my daughter was born that show yeah. picture of my daughter and you know that really resonates with you know you talk about high school girls it's they're ooing and aahing at that point and everybody's like wow that's so awesome and then a few minutes later I, i'm off on another portion of the presentation and I mentioned, you know, I have one more picture to show you, and it's not nearly as nice as the one of my daughter. And I really hope you're going to tell me that I look a little bit different. And I'll pull out the mugshot. I got a big 8 by 10 glossy of it. And just watching everybody's reaction, it never gets old. I'll wow. just, I, I'll constantly hear, that doesn't even look like the same person. And you look in my eyes in that picture, and there's absolutely no life there. That's yeah. somebody that has quit on life, which is what I did. I mean, I had that conscious thought before I, you know, reached rock bottom. I said, I'm never coming back from this. I'm done. I'm going to do this until I'm dead, which will probably be sooner rather than later. And it is what it is. And that's a terrifying place to be. I'm not even four years removed from that. Yeah. And my life is absolutely incredible. And I want to build a time machine and go back and tell that guy, put the bottle down. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This is can and will get better, but you need to stop this. Wow. Yeah, I mean, you, yeah, Picture, absolutely. Pictures worth a thousand words. I was trying to find it to show to show these guys because it really oh, does. If it you looks, can, if you can, please do because I just want to hear the audio of them re uh, reacting. The well, I was searching Shane Watson mugshot, but there's apparently. You know, it finally moved farther down into Google Image Search, yeah. and I don't know if you're aware of this that there's websites that have bots or scripts that'll mm -hmm. crawl law enforcement websites and they post your mugshot even before you've been convicted just as soon as you've been arrested and these scripts will grab your picture they'll replicate it to dozens if not hundreds of websites and it they show up really well for your people's names in google image search so people see these they panic and they say oh man i can't have my family seeing this my employer and you go to the site and underneath your mugshot there's a button that says click here to remove this and mm. you click the button and a credit card form pops up wow. asking for between 75 and 100 dollars but what they don't get is that's one oh. of dozens if not hundreds of sites and this is a scam wow. that's that very very widespread wow yep but oh, google man. is finally um, doing something with their algorithm with their code to get people's mug shots to be shifted farther back in the image results because oh, yeah. of these scammers are we're making so much money off of people's fears and i think that's so dirty Ugh. and you, you talk about me you know being wide open being uh, you know honest about my mugshot. Yeah. that's why yeah. i found it on google image search shortly after i'd been arrested and I freaked out. Oh, God, and then I looked and, I, and I'm searching and I'm seeing it everywhere. And I said, okay, I have two choices. 
I can live in fear for the rest of my life, mm-hmm. worrying about who's going to see this and ha- let it have that power over me, or I can take it, I can take back the power, I can harness this and use this as part of my platform, and I can, c- I can have the power over it, and that's what I chose. Hmm. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah, we found it. We found it. <laughs> and, uh... Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's, it's, it's rough. It's rough. Yeah, it's rough. It's a little... E- e- the eyes yeah. do tell a story. Absolutely. And, and there's story definitely is, physical differences as well. Yeah. Unbelievable. So when so here's my question. So the organization has now expanded to these six other areas. And, and I assume, did substance abuse sort of lead you to find all... And they all make sense for, for growing up, or how did that all happen? It's actually through our work with our professional advisory committee, the team of psychologists and counselors and behavioral health professionals that oversee our programming, we've learned of something called an interdependence model. Yeah. Very frequently when we meet a young person that's struggling with one of those issues, they're struggling with another one or they go on to. Yeah. And so there's the we're constantly asking the question, was a child bullied and turned to substance abuse as an escape? Mm-hmm. You know, was a child bullied and developed a negative body image as a result? Mm-hmm. You know, and there's no limit to those that kind of crossover. And so we saw a need because of that, and yeah. we saw a need because of all six of those topics. Those are issues that kids in every school today are wrestling with. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, and it's so funny. They are it's all interdependent, so I would assume you have to yeah, completely go after all this stuff. And then uh, on the flip side of this, it, you you go in, you tell these stories, these kids can relate to this stuff. They they're like, "I I can't believe I'm not alone." And then is there techniques and tactics that you teach them to get through the next time they have to deal with someone offering them drugs or uh, how does or, that or work? Or is it more is it yeah. more less in terms of avoiding use and more in terms of treating um, when they find themselves in a situation where they can't stop? I mean, at what phase in the cycle of addiction or the continuum of addiction are you really hitting on? Is it the yeah. whole thing or is it... Do you we're, prevention, we're, we're prevention focused, but mm-hmm. we, we find ourselves dealing with the entire spectrum. Um, and there's information worked into every presentation that's going to be of a benefit to somebody regardless of where they fall on that spectrum. Uh, we would like to get them before they choose to use. Yeah. But we meet a lot of people that are already at that point. We definitely teach them ways to deflect that peer pressure. We talk about healthy yeah. communication. We talk about having other healthy outlets. And we, we make sure they understand it's normal to feel stressed or scared or angry or sad. We're human beings. We're supposed to feel that. Mm-hmm. And because I think a lot of kids are, are taught to not express those feelings, and so they're f- trying to find a way to numb it. And so we want to teach them about other healthy coping mechanisms. You know, we talk about, I, you know, in my story, I talk about using art, music, writing, yeah. fitness, you name it. Um, and we also... You know, we talk about the kids that who haven't started it. A direct message to them is, wow, I'd love to be in your shoes. I'd love to go back mm-hmm. because I can never get that time back and I can never get my original brain chemistry back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we talk briefly. We don't want to get too deep into the science of it, but we talk about, you know, the prefrontal cortex and how your brain's not done developing until 21 to 25 right. years of age. If you mess with it enough in those formative years – you can spend the rest of your life paying the price for that. Trying and, to fix and it. you know, oh, absolutely. Yeah. And that's, you know, you talk about a, a difficult consequence. That's it. Yeah. 
and it's funny. I think because I was just sitting there thinking that when the where the rubber meets the road is that peer pressure moment, right? I mean, all the high school stuff and the teachers and the counselors mm-hmm. and all that stuff. You're out on a Friday night and you're with whoever you're with and you want to impress somebody or just somebody offers you something. Mm-hmm. There's that moment where, am I going to be try to be cool and fit in mm-hmm. and use, or am I going to somehow have enough courage or guts to say? And it comes back to what you think of yourself, you know, self-esteem. Absolutely, and all that that's stuff. it right there. Huge part that's of it. it. And mm-hmm. I think that's just you know to find that is is what it's all about, right? And that moment. high school is when your self-esteem's at its most or, vulnerable, right? Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And we—that's why. What I'll do is, uh, you know, I'll I'll tell the kids, you know, I I know that there's a probably a pretty good chance that the kids here who are the sober kids, yeah, probably get some grief about that. Right. Yeah. And I want to tell you coming from me, I think that's cool. I have a tremendous amount of respect for that. Not only is there not anything wrong with that, yeah. I wish I could go back and mm. make the kind of decisions you're making. I would love to do that. And it's it means even more coming from some of our younger speakers, our sure. younger peer educators who, you know, they get up there they carry themselves in a certain way. You know, we have some just amazing, talented people. You talked about Jason, and they see this person and they say, wow, I like this person. Mm-hmm. I, I would like to be like this person. And then they hear this person say, you know what? There's nothing wrong with you at all if you choose not to use drugs or alcohol. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's a big part of it is, is helping them build up that self-esteem because a lot of these kids are not hearing that at home. Mm-hmm. Sadly, a lot of these kids are not being told that they're beautiful or they're talented or they matter. And, you know, for that hour that we get with them, I want to try to build as many people up as I can, you know, to hopefully be somebody that helps them realize everybody has some kind of value to them. This being high school, do you get heckled? Do you get challenged beyond how much can you bench? I mean, (laughs) like sort of shouting down the points you're trying to make. I was, you know, I was expecting going in. I was bracing. I remember before mm-hmm. my first presentation, I was just waiting for it. I, I, I just, it wasn't a matter of if, it was a matter of when. Right. It has not happened yet. Interesting. Now, that's that being said, there's always going to be that kid that's rolling his eyes. Mm-hmm. There's always going to be that kid that's like elbowing his neighbor and kind of laughing at inappropriate right. points. And I do no longer... I don't take that as, as an insult. I don't take that personally. I take that as a challenge. And I mm-hmm. say in the back of my mind, okay, we're five minutes in. You're laughing at this. I'm not, and I don't actually say this out loud. I'm thinking this. Mm-hmm. We're five minutes in. You're laughing. You're rolling your eyes. I get it. I probably would have been doing the right. same thing if I was you. Yeah. Just wait. And I make it a goal to say, you know, by the end of this story, by the end of this presentation, I'm going to have that kid locked in. And I'd say 80% of the time I do. As a matter of fact, my first presentation, there was the one time that somebody spoke out and actually heckled or said something Mm -hmm. out loud was during my first presentation. And by the time I was done, I looked at him. He looked like a deer in the headlights. (laughs) And we got to Q&A and he raised his hand and he asked such a thoughtful question that showed he was paying attention. And I was like, you know, that's an awesome question and and showed him respect for that. And so now to me, I take it as a challenge. Um, there's always going to be that there's always going to be that kid. And, and I can't let that throw me. Um, but I also want to make sure that they 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 come away with something. Yeah. Sure. My sense would be those are the kids that that are made most uncomfortable by the by sure. it. Right. Um, and probably need the message the most. Um you know, and on a personal level, you, you mentioned your daughter. Um, you know, 
that, that's a huge part of of the inspiration for you know this project um you know and we're all parents and i think to varying degrees have different concerns about what it means for our, our children that you know we are um you know addicts in recovery and you know you look at like uh, something like you know the issues robert Dooney, downey jr has with his son say that despite all your best intentions and despite all the information you have and despite all the experience you have um and and by all appearances being somebody who's who's completely together now um you know he couldn't prevent his son from from going down the same path not to bring you down but how, how do you how do you process that in terms of your own child that's a, and that's a very good question. It doesn't bring me down at all. It's something I think about okay. frequently. Um, coming from where I've been, and and her being the most important thing in the world to me, I'm going to approach it very strategically. Um, I think one issue that a lot of parents have is it's uncomfortable to have some of those conversations that you need to have. What's much more uncomfortable is bailing your child out of jail, paying for rehab, or right. burying them. And um, there's things that a three-year-old can understand. You teach a three-year-old, you don't ever put anything in your body that mom and dad don't give you that's not healthy for you. Mm. So you're laying that groundwork that early on. Yeah. And then it's all about age appropriate. You know, an eight an eight-year-old can understand things a three-year-old can't. A 16-year-old can understand things an eight-year-old can't. When she is at an age where it will not do more harm than good, I'm going to be honest with her about what happened, what I did, and where I ended up because of it. Um, I'm not going to disclose everything. I'd say probably about 90% of it. There's mm -hmm. 10% of it that would do far more harm than good. There would be no value to it. Sure. And I'm, you know, I'm already thinking, and because I get parents after my parent presentations asking, I have a child that's six. I have a child that's 17. How do I approach these kids? Mm -hmm. And it's it's different for e each age. And so mm -hmm. I'm already starting to lay that groundwork. You know, I've, she's two and a half very articulate and very smart for two and a half and we're already laying that groundwork of you don't eat anything that mom and dad don't give you mm -hmm. that's not healthy for you mm -hmm. and then in a couple of years we're going to take that next step up um i think more than anything it's the willingness to have the conversation i still meet so many parents that are like well that's awkward it's uncomfortable right. yeah. and i still meet a lot of parents that say well not my kid Right. You know, yeah. This is great information, and I know a lot of schools out there have a lot of drugs. I know this one doesn't, but this was neat. I yeah. still meet those parents, and it's it's you just kind of have to smile and nod. It's it's hard. Yeah, I was I was just gonna ask about the parents. What's that like? Because I'm sure that's a lot of parents who just are don't are clueless, right? Well, it's yeah, yeah. And, um, and every child's <laughs> gifted, and every child, child is, you know, I mean, it, yes. And it, it would seem like, I mean, really, uh, you know, uh, I, I, w I was going to say addiction is having its moment, but that sounds a little, a little bit crass. But really, you know, addiction, alcoholism, sobriety, recovery are being sort of dragged out into the light because of really the, the opioid epidemic hitting suburban middle class white kids. Right? That's I mean, what it. That's, that's what it finally took. I, I hate to say that. Sadly, mm -hmm. when it became that middle class, upper middle class problem, is when it started getting attention. It should have mm -hmm. had attention a very long time ago. Right. Um, no it's unfortunate that in this country, a lot of times, that's what it takes. Um, and and I still do meet a lot of parents even now with the opiate epidemic being brought to the forefront. 
who still have that mentality that, well, it's, it's, it's not going to happen here. I understand mm-hmm. that it happens to some families. I understand that it happens in some schools. But my wife and I were very well educated, and our child goes to this really good private school. And, mm-hmm. you know, this was neat. This was a good presentation. But, you know, I'm sure we're not going to need this or yeah. that, and that sort of thing. Fortunately, I also meet plenty of parents who don't uh, feel that way. I meet some really amazing, very loving, very involved very balanced parents. And I think balance is an important thing when mm-hmm. you approach any of these topics that you're doing it out of love. It's clear that it's being done out of love, not of, out of condemnation. Exactly. And that's part of the thing that we teach parents in our, each of our presentations is communication skills. Um, the fact that, you know, their tone of voice, eye contact, body language is going to say more and, and their volume is going to say mm-hmm. more than the actual words that they're using. Because I think a lot of parents aren't even conscious of that. Yeah. And so they're thinking in their mind, I'm here to help you, mm-hmm. you know, to their child. And they're being that yelling, hovering adult and, the, and communication just shuts right down. Yeah, those are all very good points. Um so I, I have this, I have this, I, on your personal blog, All This Mayhem, the movie. Oh, wow. Okay, so you checked my personal blog. That's yeah. interesting. That Yeah, that movie. What We're about... Cyberstalkers. Have yeah. you seen we it? just do that. But it's a movie about, I mean, it sounds like it's all about addiction. Or these, is it you, but it sounds like you got a little screening of this thing. We got to watch this. It's, if you have Netflix streaming, it's on Netflix streaming. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's about Ben and Tass Pappas. Um, who were ranked number one and two in the world in skateboarding in 1999. They yeah. beat Tony Hawk. Wow. Um, you know, very meteoric rise, and then you're young. Suddenly you've got money, you've got fame. You throw drugs like cocaine and heroin in the mix, and hmm. ultimately you know where that goes. Yeah. Um, I've seen a lot of drug um, documentaries. I've seen a lot of, you know, rise and fall documentaries. This and, and I can't necessarily articulate exactly why really resonated with me. I, I, it's worth, it's worth the time. Yeah, I would suggest it. Highly recommend it. Yeah, it looked amazing. Mm-hmm. We're That's all cool. over it. All right. Uh, well, is there? I think we you know we covered a lot. We did. Um, is there any anything we didn't get to that you you wish we did that you want to talk about? Um, um I, one thing I just want you know while I have the moment to say this, and I, and I think I think. Considering your audience, this is likely going to be preaching to the choir, but it's mm-hmm. something that I've been making a point to say to as many people as I can because maybe somebody's going to listen to this episode that's not necessarily in recovery. Maybe somebody's going to hear this that has a family member that's struggling mm-hmm. and, and doesn't understand addiction yet, doesn't understand why someone would do the things that they do. I really would like to remind everyone as much as I can that addiction is not a failure of morality. It is a behavioral health issue. And if you've got someone, let's say heroin. I've, I've heard a lot of people recently say, well, you must be an idiot to do heroin. Mm-hmm. Only an idiot would do heroin. If they're picturing heroin as this cliff that someone just wakes up one day, walks to the edge of it, and jumps down into the canyon, nobody does that. Mm-hmm. Nobody would ever do that. Yeah. Addiction is much more subtle. It's much more deceptive. And it starts with, like in my story, it starts with that first drink in seventh grade. Mm-hmm. No seventh grade kid that's taken a sip of alcohol today is thinking, I'm going to be a heroin addict one day. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you then you take that next step, and that next step is marijuana. And this, the, the ground still looks flat. It still looks level. Mm-hmm. And, but it's starting to slope down just a little bit. And you say, you know what? This doesn't look like such a big deal. And then you take that next step, and the next step is you know prescription pills. 
and you're like, you know what, this is still not a big deal. But the next thing you know, that path is starting to slope downward very yeah. rapidly. Mm -hmm. And that's how you find yourself off of that cliff. And I still meet people that say, and this, and this drives me nuts, and I, I, think you're, I think this will resonate with you. Why don't they just stop? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Believe me, they would, they would really like to. And, and I, I, I try to tell people as much as I can, if you've got an addict in your family, I understand your frustration. I was the one doing those ridiculous, regrettable things. Chances are they have torn themselves down so mm -hmm. far. They're feeling so guilty and so small. The last thing they need is condemnation. What they need is someone to say to them, your behavior needs to change, but you are not a bad person. You have value. And, and the sooner that we can bridge that gap between those that are suffering and those that are dealing with addiction and the families who are hurting, and understandably so, but misunderstand addiction to the point where they're, they're angry at mm -hmm. the family member about it, angry at the addict. The sooner mm -hmm. that we can start communicating in a healthy way, the sooner the people that need help can ask for it, can get it. And the sooner that we can get rid of the stigma mm -hmm. in society, and there still is some, and oh, it's yeah. 2015 Huge. and we still have it, yeah. the sooner we can get rid of, of that idea that addiction makes you weak or less than, right. The sooner that those people who need desperately to ask for help right now because it's a life and death matter will have the courage to do that. So if somebody's hearing this and they're listening to this, and like I said, 99% of your audience are going to be like, not only am I preaching to the choir, I'm preaching to the preacher. Well, I'll tell you what's interesting about that, yeah, though. Is that's great. A significant motivation for starting this project a year ago was as somebody 16 years in recovery, granted all of that outside the, ro the rooms or any other system, I fell into exactly that trap. Somebody 16 years sober and in recovery with family members of my own. I, I, was, I, was, I had that exact same thought process. I was thinking, but in, in context of myself, I was like, I did it. Why don't they just quit? And right. beginning this project was, was to, to some degree out of frustration that I clearly... Um, was ineffective in helping people uh, I cared about and that I needed to find out, to, to learn what I didn't know. And I, I was just, I was, part of it was just, you know, selfish. I wanted to to, to learn. I wanted to, to be better at helping um, people I cared about. And, uh, and, and in the process, you know, try to help somebody else if I couldn't help the people I cared about. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's interesting. When you say preaching to the choir, it doesn't mean that the message is lost because, we can all forget. Um, we can all get blinded by any number of you know emotions or, or life or whatever um, or time. So I, I think it's you know I think it's a terrific message, and I appreciate that you uh, you ended on that and you ended on it so eloquently. Yeah, that was beautiful. Um, so and then my last question, though, when you talk about re re uh, stigma, um, ending the stigma, uh, are you going to uh, DC in October? I would love to. I, I, I think financially I'm not going to be able to. That's something, those types of opportunities, I would love to take every opportunity like that that I can in the future to get even further involved in, in the recovery community. Um, I won't be able to, but I would love to. All right. I'm, I'm just going to suggest you have a lot of people that came to read your story on the site, start a yeah. Kickstarter and see if they'll <laughs> send you <laughs> because, uh, I mean, they might be able to with the number of people that came to read your story. So, I actually did get people through a, through a GoFundMe campaign 
a, a year ago to pay for my favorite musician of all time to come out and play a private acoustic show here in Phoenix. So oh, it's well, doable. that's cool. All right. Yes. Well. That's so you're awesome. no stranger. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, again, Shane, uh, that was yeah, – I really do – I do appreciate because I certainly – a year ago I needed to hear what you just said despite yeah. being um, the choir. So um, – And I still need to hear it. You know, I yeah. mean, I th- – th- th- those words resonate. Yeah. Um, and Shane, uh, how much do you bench? <laughs> if you don't mind me <laughs> I've never figured out my one rep max. Okay. Uh, it's, all, it's all about the sets. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for the opportunity. This has been great. Thank you so much, guys. Thanks, Shane. Talk to you soon. Bye. Take care. Thank you. Meeting coffee. How cool is that?